0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Minnesota Tot Dish, today's evidence for tomorrow's pediatrician. This is brought to you by some of the chief residents at the University of Minnesota. I'm Dr. Kate Pollock. And I'm Dr. Heidi Moline. And we're here to give you the dish on pediatric care. This episode, we're going to pivot a little bit away from evidence-based medicine. We're calling this a Tot Talk.
1: Tot Tot talk. Talk! In this series, we are covering emerging and foundational content in pediatrics. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I'm going to run through the basics of vaccines. I'm the first to admit that the vaccine schedule looks complicated and can be really intimidating. But believe it or not, there's a method to the madness. So I'm going to run through why we give, what we give, and when we give it. Awesome. Vaccines are a huge part
0: of what we do in pediatrics and has contributed to the fact that today, more children than ever in history are making it to their fifth birthday.
1: Absolutely. They're amazing, and they work. And what's really awesome is that they often work so well that it actually changes the course of pediatric illness. Yeah, like Haemophilus influenza B or Hib.
0: If you ask a pediatrician who trained before the Hib vaccine, their residency experience was defined by intubating and managing child after child with Hib meningitis or epiglottitis. And I have never seen it. The same is true for diphtheria and polio. Most pediatricians today have never seen these illnesses because the vaccine has pretty much eliminated
1: them from the United States. It's amazing, and it's really important that we keep it that way. There's a delicate threshold for keeping these diseases from roaring back, which is why we continue to vaccinate for them today. Like you said, the vaccine schedule can be really intimidating, especially
0: because way back when, when we were children, there were fewer vaccines, and it was a lot less complicated than it is today. And this can seem overwhelming to parents.
1: Totally. But as complex as it is, the vaccine schedule isn't random. It's complicated because there's a precise reason why each vaccine was selected and when it's given. Should we dive in? Let's do it. Awesome. Let's start at the beginning. First, let's think big picture. Different age groups of kids have different risks and need different protection. That's how I like to think about vaccines. And there really are two key contributors to this the pediatric immune system and age-based pathogen risk. An age-based pathogen risk is basically
0: just that something like Hib is more dangerous to a two-month-old rather than a two-year-old.
1: Exactly. And that gets back to the infant immune system. Because an infant's immune system is different than that of a toddler. If you remember way back in medical school, about halfway through the pregnancy, maternal antibodies begin transferring from the placenta to the baby. This continues until birth when the transfer stops once the umbilical cord is cut. These maternal antibodies stay at really high levels until the baby is about three months of age, and then they actually start disappearing. Meanwhile, the baby's own immune system starts building protection around the third trimester in utero, but actually takes some time to mature. It really doesn't become fully functional until about a year of life. So from about three months of age to a year, we consider infants to have an immature immune system. Oh, so this is where the child's age determines what vaccines they need. Exactly. In infants, we need to protect them when their immune system is the weakest and when they are most vulnerable to infection. But once they reach a year old, they have a mature immune system, which means we can build even more immunity through live vaccines and use herd immunity to protect infants. And then in older children, we want to boost their protection that's now waning from their early immunization prior to school. Let's talk
0: more about infants. You've kind of explained why infections in this age group are especially dangerous, and why we are particularly aggressive in vaccinating infants in their first year of life. Right. So, when we look at the vaccine schedule, is this also why babies require more vaccines than older children?
1: You got it. Their immune system just isn't very efficient. I sometimes tell parents their children kind of have dumb immune systems. So their immune system needs to be reminded multiple times to build up effective protection which is why we need frequent vaccine boosters every two or three months in this young age group. It seems like we would really just want to immunize infants against everything. Well, although that would be nice, it wouldn't be very practical. Instead, we prioritize and we immunize infants against the pathogens most likely to keep them from making it to their first birthday. So we pick the deadliest pathogens for babies, right? We wanna protect them early against those that have historically been likely to cause significant mortality and morbidity in the first year of life. And again, we need to do it frequently because their immune system is still kinda dumb. So the infant series of
0: vaccines are DTaP, which is diphtheria, tetanus, and acellular pertussis, PCV or pneumococcus, Hib, rotavirus, polio, and hepatitis B.
1: Yeah, so let's break this down. Why do we give diphtheria Well, diphtheria used to be the number three cause of infant death prior to the vaccine. And unfortunately, it actually has a 20% death rate in children under five and an even higher rate of death in infants. Why do we give pertussis? Well, 90% of deaths, even today, from pertussis occur in infants less than six months old. Pneumococcus is currently the number one cause of pneumonia in infants, so we need to protect against it. Haemophilus influenza B used to be the number one cause of bacterial meningitis in children, as we already talked about. Rotavirus is the number one cause of infantile diarrhea, which is the leading cause of death in children worldwide. And poliovirus used to be the number one cause of neuromuscular paralysis in children, but now, amazingly, is close to eradication. We're keeping kids alive by vaccinating. Yes! What about hep B? Well, hep B is actually a unique one. It's actually one of the two vaccines we give in childhood to prevent cancer later in life. Really? Cancer? Yeah, it's amazing. The number one cause of adult liver failure worldwide is hepatocellular carcinoma, and most hepatocellular carcinoma is due to hepatitis B. It's unfortunately quite prevalent globally, but what's interesting about hepatitis B is that most people, over 90%, contract the virus at birth. It slowly destroys the liver over time, and they unfortunately often die of hepatocellular carcinoma when they reach their 40s or
0: 50s. So we give the vaccine to keep a new baby from acquiring the virus after transmission at birth to prevent cancer in middle age. Exactly. Wow. Okay, so we've covered the
1: infants. Let's talk about toddlers. All right. So by about a year of age, a child's immune system is mature, which means we can start giving live vaccines. We don't give live vaccines too early because their immune system isn't ready, and they can actually develop the very disease we're trying to prevent. The exception is rotavirus, which is a live vaccine But it's actually a weakened virus and it's oral, which means like the oral polio vaccine, children will shed the live vaccine strain in their stool and actually inoculate the other children that are around them in the community. Hmm, I don't totally understand that. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah, it's a little complex. And we could probably do a whole episode where we talk about the oral live vaccines and how they're necessary for disease eradication. But we'll tackle that later because that's beyond the scope of today. All right. Sounds good. So once a child is a year
0: old, we start giving MMR, or measles, mumps, and rubella, as well as varicella, and both
1: of those are live vaccines. What about hepatitis A? We also start that at one year of age, so is that also live? Well, actually, no. Hepatitis A vaccine is also interesting. It's not a live vaccine, but the hepatitis A antibodies that get transferred from mom to baby actually stick around in baby a lot longer than other maternal antibodies. If we give the vaccine while mom's antibodies are still there, the baby's immune system doesn't do a very good job of making their own. So we wait until they're a year old, so we know that the maternal antibodies are gone and the child can build immunity appropriately. So after the
0: vaccine's introduced at the one-year checkup, there aren't really any new ones until the HPV vaccine at age
1: 11. And those are pretty much all the vaccines we give until they become teenagers. Right. Obviously, we want to get in our annual influenza vaccine and there are booster shots required for school entry. But the next new vaccine that a child gets after their initial series is the HPV at age 11 or 12. And that's the other cancer prevention vaccine that we give to both boys and girls, right? Yep, it prevents against cervical cancer and oropharyngeal cancer. And even though the vaccine is relatively new, it's already had a huge impact on reducing cancer in women and men. And then there's also the meningococcal vaccine. That's given once
0: in the preteen years and then once right again before college.
1: Meningococcal meningitis is the number one cause of bacterial meningitis in teens and young adults, with nearly a 20% mortality.
0: Scary. So, we've talked about vaccines from birth until college.
1: What are the key take-home points? Well, first, remember that it's the infant's immune system and the age-based risk that determine why we give the vaccines we give when we give them. This is why the vaccine schedule is so complex and why we need to give boosters and wait until a year of age for most live vaccines. Second, the vaccines at two, four, and six months of age are all selected to keep the infant alive and get them to their first birthday. We protect against pathogens that historically are the most deadly for babies. And finally, children receive two vaccines that protect against cancer, hepatitis B and HPV. The fact that we can prevent cancer is pretty incredible. Agreed. Thanks for the vaccine rundown, Heidi. No problem. All right, now you know you have to answer the one final question. Oh, I'm excited. What is your favorite hot dish? Well, I love tater tots, and so I suppose that's my favorite. It's hard to beat a classic tater tot casserole. Mm, love me some tots. Yum.
0: That's all for today's episode of Minnesota Tot Dish. Thanks, Heidi. Bye, Kate. See you See next time on Minnesota tot, tot Dish. To all of those listening, but particularly to our residents, we have a survey linked in the description of the show. Please take a second to fill it out so we can continue to perfect this tot dish recipe.